in Isaiah 51, we'll continue to take a look at what the Lord has for us. As Isaiah begins to reach its crescendo, um, drawing closer and closer to that Holy of Holies in the book of Isaiah, Isaiah chapter 53, uh, which we will not arrive at tonight, but we will be all prepared by next week. So as we take a look, chapter 51 of Isaiah, still speaking toward uh, the children of Israel and the deliverance, ultimate deliverance of the Messiah. He says, listen to me, you who follow after righteousness, you who seek the Lord. As we look at this, the, the Lord is calling out to his people through the voice of the prophet. Listen to me, but who's he calling? He's calling those who follow after righteousness and those who seek the Lord. And when the scriptures talk about seeking the Lord, it's not those who, who think, I don't know where the Lord is, so I'm wandering around trying to find him. The seek in the scriptures, when the scripture speaks of seeking the Lord, it's knowing where God is and going to that place to be with him, to spend time with him. The Bible says there's, there's none that seek after the Lord that are wandering around hoping to find God in, in something but when they know who he is, when they are seeking after righteousness and they know the, the place where he can be found, then they're going to draw near. They're going to come unto him, follow after righteousness and seek the position of the Lord. For look, look to the rock from which you were hewn. Isn't that interesting? Well, 1 Corinthians chapter 10 tells us that the rock is Jesus Christ. And you'll remember that when the children of Israel were in the wilderness... And they needed water, water, living water specifically, specifically, which is water that comes from God. They initially came and smote the rock. And when they smote the rock, what occurred? The rock split and water came forth and watered the children of Israel. Then God says, seek the rock in the place that was hewn for you. And many of you remember the, the old hymn, Rock of Ages cleft for me that place within the rock that we can draw to why because the rock is jesus christ when was jesus christ smitten on the cross on the cross he died for us and paved the way that we could have a life in christ in the rock that's why moses was in so much trouble the second time was jesus christ smitten twice just one time what was he supposed to do to the rock the second time? Speak to the rock. Just speak to the rock. Why? Because that's how we come to the Lord. He was smitten for us, and now all we need to do is ask. Ask. What did Jesus say on the great day of the feast? He said, come unto me, all you who are thirsty, and I will give you water to drink. Water from the rock. That place within the rock that's hewn out. For God's people, look to the rock from which you were hewn, and to the hole of the pit from which you were dug. And look to Abraham, your father, and Sarah, who bore you. Listen, God is saying, he's calling the people, listen to me, there is going to be a deliverance, and you know there is going to be a deliverance based on what I have already done. Listen to what I've already done. Look at the promises that I've made. See that the hand of God is still moving and working, and God is accomplishing a work. He points them to Abraham, their father, and Sarah, who bore you. 
Now when Abraham and Sarah gave birth to what would become the nation of Israel, their bodies were already dead. Well, not dead to life, but they were dead sexually. They could not have children. was medically impossible except for the anointing touch of God, who brings forth life out of death and created this nation. And he says, listen, I, God, called him alone. He called Abraham alone, and now look how great a nation. What was the promise that God gave to him? That he would have, he would, there would be a multitude that would come from his seed. And through his seed, all the nations of the world would be blessed. So we look, and he's saying, listen, I called Abraham alone. Now look. I, I, I'm keeping my promise. I have kept my promise. I'm continuing to work toward that ultimate goal, making my promise. And so he lays out for him here, look to Abraham. Look to Sarah, for I called him alone. I blessed him and increased him. He goes on and says, for the Lord will comfort Zion. So he gives them absolutes of certainty. He's saying, listen, this will happen. Now, keep in mind, the children of Israel are a little disappointed. They're bummed. I mean, they've been hearing from Isaiah all these bad things that are going to happen. They're going into captivity. They're going into Babylon. I mean, they don't know what that means, how that's all going to work out ultimately. So God, in their midst of their disappointment, by the way, anybody ever been disappointed with God? In the midst of their disappointment, God says, here are some things you can take to the bank. You can count on. You can count on that the Lord will comfort Zion. Zion is, is the, a, a, a word for uh, Israel, for Jerusalem. He will comfort all her waste places. He will make her wilderness like Eden and her desert like the garden of the Lord. The day is coming when Jesus Christ is going to heal the land. The world, the earth, is under the curse of sin. But at the time when Jesus Christ returns and sets up his kingdom, he will heal the earth. And in that time, the entire planet will be as it was in the Garden of Eden. One temperature all the way around. The perfect temperature, the perfect opportunity for things to grow. In fact, we'll see the end of the curse on earth. We'll see the end of weeds. Isn't that great? I won't have to mix Roundup ever again. The the idea that God's going to make it like the garden. Now, part of this has been performed because when the children of Israel went into Babylon, their, their nation was destroyed. When they came back, it began to flourish again. But right after the Babylonians came the Romans, ultimately. And the Romans utterly plowed it under so that there was nothing left. But today when you go to Israel, Israel is blooming. All the places that were swamp or desert are beginning to give forth fruit. I think Israel is the number three importer or exporter of fruit. You ever check the size of Israel? It's small. I think Twin Falls is bigger than Israel, the country. So when you take a look at and consider those things... You see all this, the, the, the size and, and what they're able to do. You see the beginning of some of these promises that the Lord has laid out. Ultimate fulfillment when he reigns and rules. 
But until then, we, we get a little hint, a little hint of things that are to come. He says, joy and gladness will be found in it. Thanksgiving and the voice of melody, singing. The children of Israel are thinking as they go into captivity, oh, we'll never sing again. We'll never be happy again. Life is always going to be tears. But the Lord wants them to know, no, joy and gladness will be found in her again. And thanksgiving and the voice of melody. Again, he says, listen to me, my people. Give ear to me, O my nation, for law will proceed from me, and I will make my justice rest as a light of the peoples. And he's going to begin to focus on his eternal work, the the things that are lasting that God brings, his righteousness, his salvation. And he says, I, and I don't know about you, but I, for one, look forward to the day when the justice of the Lord will be as a light to the peoples. That the, the justice of God, you know, people can pull the wool over my eyes. Somebody can come to church and say, oh, you know, I need this and I need that. And I'm a sucker for a sad story and I'll, I'll do whatever I can to try to help them out. And, and you know, I, I know this comes as a shock to you, but people actually rip off churches. That's hard to believe, huh? I look forward to the day when the, the righteous judge will sit in that place and nobody will be able to lie to him. Nobody will be able to tell some story or get away with something. No guy's ever going to do something to someone else and get away with it. Because Jesus Christ will rule and reign. And, and the book of Revelation says, he has eyes like a flame of fire. What does that mean? That means he sees right through you. When the Pharisees came to Jesus and tried to trap him, did that ever work out? Why not? Because Jesus could see right to the heart of what they were trying to do. And often he wouldn't answer their question. He would answer the problem that was going on within their heart. We see this same thing is going to happen. He's saying, listen, you guys can take this to the bank. One day, justice is going to be the light for the people. Not man's justice, God's. And what God's able to do, what God can do, what God wants to do and accomplish among his people. He says, my righteousness is near, my salvation has gone forth, and my arms will judge the people. So God, Jesus, will sit in judgment of the people, that the, the king. The idea is that people will come to him with, his, with their problems or with their concerns or, or with their needs, and he will be able to judge, right? Wrong. There's going to be that time in the millennial reign of Christ, a perfect peace. Perfect peace, where God can answer once and for all whether or not man is a product of his environment. We'll see at the end of the millennial reign that Man is not a product of his environment. He's a product of the sin that reigns in his heart. He goes on and says, And the coastlands will wait upon me, and on my arm they will trust. So that time, as Jesus reigns and rules, the world will have that peace, and they will lean on, press on, trust in him as their ruler and as their king. He says in verse 6, So lift up your eyes to the heavens and look on the earth beneath For the heavens will vanish away like smoke, and the earth will grow old like a garment. Now he's going to make a comparison between creation and his righteousness and salvation. He says the heavens, they're going to pass away. The earth is going to wear out and fold up like a garment. 
We read in the end of the book of Revelation that there will be a new heaven and a new earth. Uh, until that time, God's saying all this stuff that everybody puts all their, their, their hope or trust or faith in, this all passes away. But my righteousness and my salvation are eternal. This stuff is temporal. We've talked about before, so often we can get focused on that which does not last and think that this is the end-all, beat-all. Perfect example was my Harley. That could have been the end-all, beat-all. But it is no more. So, I discovered that that was temporal, not lasting. It didn't last the test of time. What lasts the test of time? Jesus Christ and our relationship with Him. The, The righteousness that He bestows upon us by His sacrifice. The salvation that is freely given to those who will receive and call upon the name of the Lord. He says, and those who dwell in it will die in like manner, but my salvation will be forever, and my righteousness will not be abolished. Okay, so in the beginning, he's saying, listen, people, think back to all the ways that you've been delivered in the past, and look at the promises for the future. Then he says, now listen, my righteousness and my salvation, they're eternal, they're lasting they, they stand the test of time. And then he goes on in verse 7. Again, listen to me, you who know righteousness, you people in whose heart is my law. Now, to me, that's an interesting phrase. You people in whose heart is my law. Well, what people is that? Jeremiah chapter 31 says that God was bringing a new covenant. And that new covenant, he was going to do what? Write his law in our hearts jesus said when he instituted communion this is the blood my blood the the blood of the new covenant ushering in by his sacrifice that new covenant the law of god written on the hearts of his people he says listen to me you who know righteousness and in whose heart is my law do not fear the reproach of men nor be afraid of their insults For the moth will eat them up like a garment, and the worm will eat them like wool. So often in our lives, when we are called upon to be, uh, you know, a witness for the Lord, we are faced with that choice of whether or not we're going to allow what man thinks of us to influence what we're about to do. Are we willing to step out and be the witness that God's calling us to be? Are we willing to stand up and be counted as His? Or does the fear of man cause us to be silent, to retreat within ourselves, to not be as bold as we maybe are feeling that God's leading us to be? When He he lays this out for us here, He says, listen, don't be afraid of their insults. Anybody ever been insulted by man? For the moth will eat them up like a garment, and the worms will eat them like wool. Man's going to die. What can man do to you? Why are we so afraid? We get afraid because we focus on the temporal, not on the eternal. If we focused on the eternal, we wouldn't be afraid. If we focused on how things looked to our God and Savior, we wouldn't even entertain the thoughts that we entertain. 
But we, we don't. We get focused on the temporal. Right now, I'm hungry. I'm thirsty. I, I need money to pay the bills. Or I need this for that. Or, or where's our eyes? What are we focused on? We focus on that which is eternal or that which is temporal. It doesn't mean we ignore the fact that there are temporal things that we have to deal with. But those temporal things are still temporal. They're not eternal. Whatever trouble we're having is not eternal. It doesn't last forever. It just lasts however long it lasts. And he calls us not to be afraid of men. Not to be afraid of what they will say. But my righteousness will be forever and my salvation from generation to generation. So the Lord laying out these promises to the people through the voice of the prophet. And then the people respond. In verse 9, they respond and they say, Well, these all, that all sounds good. Well, awake, awake, put on strength, O arm of the Lord. Awake like in the ancient days, in the generations of old. Are you not the arm that cut Rahab apart and wounded the serpent? So the people cry out to God and they say, well, God, then do it. You say all these things are coming, let's do it. Get, let's go. Come on. Wake up and make it happen. Make it happen. Make these things take place. But they also speak a, something a little bit interesting that we want to get in a little bit deeper. He says, are you not the arm that cut Rahab apart? And what in the world is he talking about? I, whenever I think of Rahab, I'm back in Jericho, you know, Rahab, scarlet thread of redemption hung out the window. God saved her. When was Rahab cut into pieces? Rahab means pride. It also means uh, the arrogant boasting. And the emphasis is on the battle with Satan. So when he speaks of Rahab being cut apart, the, the emphasis, the picture is in Satan's ultimate destruction. That, that Satan would be divided asunder. That Satan is under control. So when they, when they speak of Rahab, that's the sense. We're not talking about the person. We're talking about the concept behind the word. Pride, arrogant boasting, and the serpent all used in the same phrase. It all fits together, doesn't it? It all, it all points to uh, who Satan is, what Satan has done, and the fact that he's already received the death blow. You know that, right? Uh, it's over. It's not like we're biting our nails hoping God wins. No, it's done. It's finished. The, the battle has been won. We fight from victory. We're not wondering whether or not God's going to prevail. And so the people are saying, God, you've already done this. You've already dealt the death blow. Let's go. Let's finish this. Let's be done. Let's, let's stop and let's just have you return and you come back. And I'll be honest with you, I feel like that sometimes. Hey, God, hang all this stuff. Come back. Come back. Even so, Lord Jesus, come quickly. That desire to, to see the Lord uh, to be with them. And they go on. Are you not the one who, who dried up the sea, the waters of the great deep, that made the depths of the sea a road for the redeemed to cross over? So the example, remember, God said, look back to what I've done. What's an example that they give when they call out to God to awake and to deliver? The example of the crossing of the Red Sea. I'm still blown away that there are people today who want to put the crossing of the Red Sea in a place called the Sea of Reeds, which wouldn't be a big deal except for the reason why they do it. 
Well, he really crossed in the Sea of Reeds, and when he crossed in the Sea of Reeds, there was a 60-mile-an-hour wind, and there are certain times of the year when the Sea of Reeds is only just a, a, a foot or so deep. So a 60-mile-an-hour wind would blow all the water out of the way, and the children of Israel could walk across on dry ground. Fine. I'll let you have it. But then the next part still has to occur. Remember what happened next? All of Pharaoh's army followed them in and drowned in, the, in a foot of water. All the chariots and the horses. Now, a guy might be stupid enough to lay down in a foot of water and drown. But I have not seen a horse lay down in a foot of water and drown. So, you know, but isn't that the, the, when people start to go to the Word and start to try to make it all work out, it doesn't. They can't get around what God did. The scriptures declare to us that he caused the deep, not the foot, the deep to become a dry road so that they were able to cross over. Verse 11, so the ransom of the Lord shall return, shall come to Zion with singing, with everlasting joy on their heads. They shall obtain joy and gladness, sorrow and sighing shall flee away. So looking unto that time. But listen, ultimately, we're seeing this fulfilled. I mean, there's a day, May 14, 1948, where a man stood up and said, Today you have seen Ezekiel fulfilled in your hearing as God brought about the return of the nation Israel from they ceased to exist in 70 A.D. and they came back in 1948. I don't know. That's the biggest mind-blowing Fulfillment of prophecy ever. That the word of God said it would happen, and that it happened. And at the time it happened, men were pointing to Ezekiel saying, this is a fulfillment. The valley of dry bones is coming together again. Israel lives. Israel came back retaining their language after not having a nation for 2,000 years. Show me that. Anywhere else. It doesn't exist. It didn't... It's an incredible thing to look at. Now the Lord begins to speak. I, even I, am he who comforts you. Who are you that you should be afraid of a man who will die and of the son of man who will be made like grass? For you forget the Lord your maker who stretched out the heavens, laid the foundations of the earth. You have feared continually every day because of the fury of the oppressor when he has prepared to destroy and where is the fury of the oppressor the captive exile hastens that he may be loosed that he should not die in the pit and that his bread should not fail so the lord says listen in the midst of your captivity you're going to despair you're disappointed you think that it's never going to change and you're afraid of the oppressor the ones who have enslaved you and you're afraid of what's going to happen but listen god would tell his people the nation who has enslaved you is going to be conquered without a battle and in fact when babylon fell there was three days before the people of Babylon knew that they had fallen because of the way that they, they the, of the way that they were conquered, and then the Medo Persians come in, and what happened? Cyrus, just like God promised in the Book of Isaiah, set the people free. He turned them loose. God said, "Listen, 
I'm the one who comforts you. I'm the one who's working in your life. I haven't forgotten you. I didn't like put you in the oven and forget. Have, have any of you guys ever done that? <coughs> Start cooking something and forget. We, uh, our, our stove is possessed. So we don't use it that much. It just does. It turns itself on. You'd be sitting in another room and all of a sudden you hear beep, beep, beep. And you walk in and the, and the broiler light comes on and it goes off. And the bake light comes on and it goes off. And the cleaning light comes on and it goes off. And they're just doing it themselves. It's not really possessed, just messed up. I was joking. But anyway, so we have to cook on the barbecue. So I decided I'm going to have hot dogs. You know, you ever decide to have a midnight snack? So I come in and I, and I uh, put some hot dogs on and I go and sit down and turn on Sports Center because I want to see what happened in football. And uh, like 30 minutes later, I remember, oh my gosh, I had hot dogs out there. They were a burnt offering at that point. <laughs> they were, I don't even know that there was no, anything, I think I know where they were laying. But there was flames everywhere and not a lot of meat left. So I had to cook more. Sometimes we think that God does that with us. Sometimes we think God's put us in the fire, we're in difficulty, and then he forgot. Oop. Oh my gosh, you're really well done now. No, the Lord wants his people to know, listen, it's me who comforts you. I know what I'm doing. Don't forget, I created all of this. I made it all, and I, and I have you. I have my eyes upon you. Verse 15, he says, But I am the Lord your God, who divided the sea, whose, who, whose waves roared. The Lord of hosts is his name. And I have put my words in your mouth. I have covered you with the shadow of my hand, that I may plant the heavens and lay the foundations of the earth. And say to Zion, you are my people. I love it how God says, I, I hide you in the shadow of my hand. You remember when Moses said he wanted to see the glory of the Lord? And the Lord said, Moses, you can't see the glory of the Lord and live. But I tell you what I'll do. I'll put you here in this cleft within the rock. And I'm going to hold my hand over you. And I'm going to allow my afterglow, the glory, the, the, the sparkly dust that follows behind me, to pass in front of you. And you can see that. And upon that, the face of Moses is is glowing for 40 days as a result of that being within the presence of God in that way. But it was God who put His hand over His hand. The shadow of my hand speaks of God's hand of protection. And while God's hand of protection is upon them, He's still doing all these other things in the heavens. You ever feel like God's too busy for you? I mean, He's got to be watching over all those asteroids and things that are passing close by the earth. And, and I don't want Him to start focusing on me and forget about them. And, you know, it all goes. So... Sometimes we think, sometimes we think that, that that's the way it works. But God wants us to know, man, my, my hand is upon you and I'm still doing all those other things. And we're good. I got it under control. It's going to be okay. And then, remember in, uh, in verse 9, the people respond to God and ask God to wake up. In verse 17, God responds to the people and asks them to wake up. God says, awake, awake, and stand up, O Jerusalem. You who have drunk at the hand of the Lord the cup of His fury, you have drunk the dregs of the cup of trembling and drained it out. 
And whenever the Bible talks about this cup, the cup of trembling, the, the dregs of the cup, he's talking about the cup of judgment. That there are things for which the nation was being judged, that they had done. There were consequences to their actions. But it also reminds me of someone else. A Luke, I think Luke around 22, 12, 22, where am I? 22, 42. Luke lays out for Jesus talking about that same cup. And if this cup could pass for me, remember the cup of judgment? If this cup could pass for me, but there's no other way. Jesus had to drink that cup, right? And become our sin so that we could become the righteousness of God. So he drank that cup to the full. He, he drained it dry. And what God's saying here for the nation of Israel is the time of judgment is over. The time of judgment has been completed. It's done. It's, that's finished. There is no one left to guide her among the sons she has brought forth. Nor is there anyone who takes her by the hand among all the sons she has brought up. So these two things have come to you. Who will be sorry for you? Desolation, destruction, famine and sword? By whom will I comfort you? For your sons have fainted. They lie at the head of the streets like an antelope in a net. They are full of the fury of the Lord, the rebuke of your God. He's saying the judgment has come, and now you're all asleep, laying down, spread out around, laying over here, laying over there. Arise, stand up. The judgment is done. It's finished. But to who, how will I comfort you when your, your young ones, your little ones, the ones who you raise, they're, they're, in, they're asleep. And they need to be roused. They need to be wake, awakened. They need to arise. Therefore, he says, please hear this, you afflicted and drunk, but not with wine. What are they drunk with? The judgment of God. The, the judgment of God was heavy upon them. Thus says your Lord, the Lord and your God who pleads the cause of his people. See, I have taken out of your hand the cup of trembling, the dregs of the cup of my fury. You shall no longer drink it. He took the cup away. But I will put it into the hand of those who afflict you. So the Lord now, looking at the, at the nation, looking at his people, and the affliction that they've gone through, and the judgment that came, passed through the hands of God into their lives, and the, and the fact that that almost nearly destroys them, but God says, listen, I'm taking the cup out of your hands. It's over. Judgment's done. And all those people who oppressed you, and afflicted you, and did all the things that they did, I'm going to put the cup in their hands it's time for judgment to come to them ultimately that cup is going to be put into the hands of jesus christ and he is freely going to drink of that cup so that all mankind could receive forgiveness and have a relationship with god yet some people will not choose right some people won't answer the phone some people won't heed the call that god gives they won't Come unto him and receive the free gift that Jesus Christ is offering them. And if they don't receive the gift of Jesus Christ, who drinks the cup? They do. They'll drink the cup to its full, 
to completion. We see that same cup again brought up in the book of Revelation. He says, but I will put it into the hand of those who afflict you, who have said to you, lie down that we may walk over you. And you have laid your body like the ground and as a street for those who walk over you. There was this practice, especially by the Assyrians, where the people they conquered, they'd make them lay on the ground and the army would walk over their back. It was a, an act of humiliation that you've been conquered and now, you know, we're walking over you. But you know, Matthew 25 kind of brings all this into view. Matthew 25 was what's called the judgment of the nations. In fact, there's a place when we go to Israel where we're going to pass through. It's called the Valley of Judgment. And, and most of the Jewish people believe that's where that judgment takes place. The judgment of the nations. All those who arose, it's a decision on who will enter into the millennial reign of Christ. Now, quick note, you and I put our faith and trust in Jesus Christ. We are the church. We will have been perfected. And at the time when Jesus Christ returns in chapter 19 to set up his kingdom on the earth, we don't have a problem with sin anymore. It's all done. That's finished. Where would Jesus, uh, what we'll do for him and through him and by him, I don't know. But our part is done. But there are people who live through everything. How will they enter into the millennial reign of Christ? Don't you remember Jesus said, Well, when I was hungry, you fed me. When I was thirsty, you gave me drink. When I was in prison, you visited me. When I was naked, you clothed me. And they said, Lord, when did we do these things for you? And he said, when you did it to the least of these, my brethren. Who are Jesus' brethren? The Jew. Don't you see, in the tribulation period, you think that the Holocaust in, in World War was bad. The Holocaust that the Antichrist is going to unleash is going to pale in comparison. And God's going to say, what would you do to my people? How did you treat my people? And how they treated the people will depend on whether or not they enter into the kingdom. Otherwise, they'll go to, to Hades, to the, to the holding pen of the dead, to be dumped out at the great white throne judgment and ultimately to spend eternity in a lake of fire in the, in in total removal from the from the place where god is outside of god outside the existence of him that's what they want right i don't want god to rule over me so put me somewhere where god isn't well that place is called hell where you can't see where you don't recognize anyone where fire burns but there's no light where fire burns but but there's not any heat or comfort or or anything and where Satan does not rule, but where Satan is tormented. They come to that place. But see, when Jesus comes back to, to bring his millennial reign, that will be the question. What did you do to the least of these, my brethren? Same question could be laid out for the tribulation, the martyrs. The, the, those who put their faith and trust in Christ during the tribulation were slaughtered for their faith. What did you do to the least of these, my brethren? How did you take care of them? That will be the decision. Here's what we see him talking about in Isaiah. Quickly through chapter 52, he goes on. Awake, awake, put on your strength, O Zion. Put on your beautiful garments, O Jerusalem, the holy city. For the uncircumcised, the unclean shall no longer come to you. When you come to Israel, we get to walk through Jerusalem. It's a great time. I can't 
even begin to express to you how incredible it is to walk through Jerusalem. But uh, Jerusalem is filthy. It's dirty. It's full of sinners, reprobate people doing things that ought not to be done in that place. And God says, hey, guys, clean up. For the unclean, the uncircumcised, the dirty, the filthy, it's not here anymore. All that stuff has been washed clean. Shake yourself from the dust and arise. Sit down, O Jerusalem. Loose yourself from the bonds of your neck, O captive daughter of Zion. For thus says the Lord, you have sold yourself for nothing, and you will be redeemed without money. You sold yourself for nothing. That's what Adam did. For a bite of some fruit. I've heard some people say it's tomatoes. I don't know if that's true or not. I don't think they like tomatoes. I think that's why they said that. But sold yourself for nothing, but you'll be bought without money. How were they bought? With the blood of Jesus Christ. He didn't say there wasn't a price that would be paid. But you will be redeemed, bought back. Brought back from, from the point of destruction. For thus says the Lord, My people went down at first into Egypt to dwell there. Then the Assyrian oppressed them without cause. Now therefore, what have I here, says the Lord, that my people are taking are taken away for nothing? Those who rule over them make them wail, says the Lord, and my name is blasphemed continually every day. Therefore my people shall know my name. Therefore they shall know in that day that I am. He who speaks, behold, I am. It reminds me of somebody else. It reminds me of God the Father from, from Exodus chapter 3. It also reminds me of Jesus Christ in the book of John. The seven I am statements, the ego I me's, the fact that he is declaring himself to be God. And listen, this, this part of, of verse 6 is also going to tie into part in verse 8. Let's see. He goes on to describe now the gospel. How beautiful upon the mountains are the feet of him who brings good news. What's gospel mean? Good news. Who proclaim peace, who bring glad tidings of good things, who proclaim salvation, who says to Zion, your God reigns. Your watchmen shall lift up their voices. With their voices they shall sing together, for they shall see eye to eye when the Lord brings back Zion. Who are they seeing eye to eye? They're seeing the Lord. He says, that I am he who speaks, behold, I am. It is I, the one who they will see eye to eye. Break forth into joy, sing together, you waste places of Jerusalem. For the Lord has comforted his people, he has redeemed Israel. The Lord has made bare his holy arm. You know what that means? He's rolling up his sleeves. What happens when you roll up your sleeves? It means you're getting ready to do something, doesn't it? So first God says, it is I, here I am. Then he goes on and alludes to the fact you're going to see me eye to eye. You're going to be able to see the, the representation of Almighty God. Then he says, I'm rolling, up my, I'm rolling up my sleeves. I'm getting ready to do something. In the eyes of all the nations and all the ends of the earth shall see the salvation of our God. Everyone's going to be able to see. They're all going to be able to see this work that God's about to do. He's rolled up his sleeves. He's ready. 
face to face, eye to eye, I am. He goes on and says, so depart, go out from there. Why is he saying that? Because when bondage goes, the pilgrimage must start. When you are set free from bondage, it's time to get out of what you are in bondage to and move on. Move forward. Depart. Go out from there. Touch no unclean thing. Go out from the midst of her. Be clean. You who bear the vessels of the Lord, for you shall not go out with haste, nor by flight, for the Lord will go before you, and God of Israel will be your rear guard. So God says, listen, you're going to be set free. You're set free from bondage. Get out of here. Get out of this place. Go home. And don't be afraid, and don't think you've got to be in a hurry, because I'm going before you and behind you. I got gotcha. you. I'm taking care of you. Remember, God's doing a work, right? He said, I am. It is me. It is I. Eye to eye. You're going to see me. I'm rolling up my sleeves. For what? Behold, my servant shall deal prudently. In your Bibles, that phrase, my servant, ought to be capitalized because it is an example or pointing to the Mashiach Nagid. It is pointing to Jesus Christ. It is pointing to God face to face. It is pointing to the I am. It is pointing to the, the fact that God will become flesh. My servant will deal prudently. That God is going to, if you will, take off his sleeves and be clothed in human flesh. Behold, my servant shall deal prudently. He's pointing to Jesus Christ. He will be exalted and extolled and be very high. At the name of Jesus, every knee will bow and every tongue will confess to the glory of God the Father. That He resurrected, He rose from the dead, He ascended into heaven. Jesus said, except I be lifted up, then I will draw all nations unto Myself. He is lifted up, He is exalted, He is extolled. And just as many were astonished at you, so his visage was marred more than any man, and his form more than the sons of men. Basically what he's talking about here is there's going to be a massive disfigurement, and he will not be recognized as human. In fact, when Jesus stood in the Eke Homo, and he stood in that place before Pilate and Pilate pointed to him and said what behold the man why do you have to say that well they might not have been able to tell otherwise now the the what he's using here is is a poetic hyperbole it doesn't mean that Jesus is disfigured more than any human being ever existed was ever disfigured it just means that he is so disfigured that they cannot tell that he's a man They're not sure what it is. But he is marred more than any man. And so his visage was marred more than the son of men. And then look at verse 15. So he shall sprinkle many nations. What's that mean? He sprinkled nations. What happened? What did the high priest do with the sacrifice? He put it on hyssop. Hyssop was like a sponge-like branch of of a... plant and he would dip that in the blood and he would sprinkle the blood of the sacrifice 
He would sprinkle it on hyssop. What did the psalmist say? Purge me with what? Purge me with hyssop. What does that mean? Purge me with the blood that is on the hyssop from the sacrifice. And he will sprinkle many nations. Just Israel? No, he'll sprinkle many nations. Whosoever that comes will find salvation in him. And kings will shut their mouths at him. They'll be blown away at the thought, at the concept that God would do this. In fact, the little highlight of coming events, chapter 53 begins with, Who believed our report? What report? That God would become the Lamb. Who believed it? Who would believe that God would do such a thing, that such a thing would occur? Kings will shut their mouths at him. They'll be blown away by what God has done. They'll be blown away by the suffering that God has undergone. For what they had not been told, they shall see. And what they had not heard, they shall consider. The fact that as we raise up the crescendo in Isaiah, focusing in on, on this picture of the Messiah... Ultimately, next week, seeing Isaiah 53, the sacrifice, the, 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 the cross, the crucifixion occurring, pointing to all those things and saying, hey, this is, this is what God has done. This is what God is talking about. This is what God is doing. This was all God's plan from the beginning, that we would have salvation, that we could be set free. So the Lord says, it is I, I am You'll see me face to face. I'm rolling up my sleeves. My servant will deal prudently. He's going to become the sacrifice pictured for us through Isaiah. We're going to have a time tonight as we focus in prayer. We're going to, we're going to have an opportunity to, to just call upon the name of the Lord. And as we do that, as we begin to do that, I didn't ask if it was okay, but um, I'm going to do it anyway. Uh, when we, as we close in prayer and as we go on into uh, to the, our time of prayer together, before we do that, I'm, I'm going to pray for Stacy. Uh, Stacy's getting ready to go in for surgery next week. And uh, so we want to pray that God guides surgeon's hands and God watches over and takes care of her and stuff. That's what we do as, uh, as a body of believers. So... Um, I won't create a a ruckus and have us all move around, but I think the Lord will honor us as we... uh